0: welcome to the mini break your day podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is sunday february 25th it is crazy to say this out loud but we are just about wrapped up with month number two of this 2024 Pro Tennis season. Now, of course, we had to conclude things in style. And we did with four different tour events over the course of this championship weekend, a WTA 125K and three challengers on the calendar as well. But given we are now two months into the season, does feel like this would be a good week for some reflection. So that will be a theme of most of our episodes here this week. I will try to reflect on some sort of lesson we have already learned throughout the course of this 2024 season. Now, some of that reflecting will be done with guests, I can tell you all now. Jeff Sackman will be joining me either Tuesday or Wednesday on this podcast. Obviously, what he does at Tennis Abstract, essential to this show. We will also have our dear friend David Gertler at some point to break down in depth everything that has happened during this South American clay court swing. Now, it doesn't help that we have two 500-level events for the men this week, so many different top players in the world in action. Thus, it might be nice to watch this week unfold, then try to cram our reflecting before the Sunshine Swing gets underway, but I don't want to cram. feel like we've already missed too much of this 2024 Pro Tennis season with our forays into the college world, so going to do some reflecting this week, whether that be with opening monologues or, again, with our guests here on this show, still to be determined, but just be on the lookout for that throughout the course of this week's episodes here on the mini break podcast feed of course we'll still be rocking and rolling over on the great shot podcast feed as well damian coos hosting the Monday episode, focusing on the ATP Challenger Tour. Myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris hosting Tuesday, Wednesday episodes, focusing on everything happening at the collegiate level. Still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with our Thursday, Friday Great Shot Podcast episode slots. I feel like we will, by the time this season is done, have 10 episodes at a minimum for you each and every week. Five here on the mini break, five over on the Great Shot Podcast feed. But again, if you are already looking for more coverage of everything, everything happening across levels in the tennis world. Make sure you go check out the Great Shot podcast feed. Check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. was joined by ascending ATP talent Patrick Kipson to break down his rise up the rankings, his recent success, and so much more. So again, we're firing on all cylinders here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, the Big news is what's coming up this weekend. We really get rolling with our college tennis coverage as if the national indoors kickoff weekend weren't enough. Not only do we have number 17, Valor hosting number one, Ohio State, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus. Starting this weekend, a lot of crack rackets featured on that ESPN Plus platform, ACC, SEC, Big 12 coverage every Friday, Sunday over on ESPN+. Plus. I'll be steering the ECC ship specifically, but again, it's our trusted colleagues working everywhere else. We'll also have a Big Ten feed for all of you fans Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, so a lot of coverage, a lot of content coming your way from our Crack Rackets team. Be out on the lookout for all of it across our three podcast platforms. This one, the Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, be on the lookout for our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to have new content. And then again, broadcast each and every Friday, Sunday on ESPN Plus as well. The reason we're able to do all those things is because of the support we get from all of you. We won't forget our roots. Don't worry. We'll continue to cover all levels, pro, college, juniors, and otherwise here on this show in our assortment of podcasts. But again, a thank you to you listeners for sticking with us. We're so grateful that we've received these opportunities to shine a spotlight on the things we love in the tennis world. We appreciate i suppose your appreciation for our appreciation two degrees of appreciation here of the sport and again we know it's our job keeping the most well-educated best uh informed fans in the business we take that job so seriously and we appreciate all of you trusting us to do so a thank you to you a thank you as well to the support we get from our friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 all right, let's wrap up February, break down our championship weekend for tour-level events. Let's start on the women's side. Surprise champion, obviously, in Jasmine Paulini. in the context of this event more broadly, but... Man, she was the best player down the home stretch of this event. The explosion off the racket of the twenty-eight-year-old, whether it was the forehand wing, the backhand wing on the return of serve in particular, didn't matter whether there was a scoreboard deficit or not. She was relentless with her aggression. And again, ultimately for Paulini. It's the biggest title of her career as she takes a 4-6-7-5-7-5 decision over Anna Kalinskaya. Paulini down a break in that third set for the majority of it was broken six times on eight chances in this match. So let's be clear, Kalinskaya had plenty of opportunities and yet, again, the highest compliment I can offer Jasmine Paulini is that she just kept on swinging and it's funny, all weekend long, I was pondering this comparison. Sincerely to you, Mini Break Podcast listeners, and there are some of you I know who respond to these prompts on Twitter. I would love to get a response from you at Al Gruskin at crack tomorrow. She reminds me of a smaller Jen Brady. If that makes sense to all of you listeners, 28-year-old Jasmine Paolini, that wind-up on the forehand, the way she explodes through it and can flatten it out, the way she drives through the backhand as well, that accentuated follow-through over her right shoulder. Again, not as tall, not as lanky, the levers not quite as long on Paolini as they are on Brady, but the explosiveness off the racket, that springiness of everything Jasmine Paolini does was remarkably impressive. And again, even if the ranking wasn't there before the week, she starts at 26. Now, obviously, with this run, you win a 1,000 points, you're going to jump spots. She's up to number 14, new career high for the 28-year-old. The run's remarkably impressive. Would have really loved to have that signature victory over Elena Rabakina, which, of course, she got the win over via withdrawal in the quarterfinals. But she beat five top 25 players otherwise. like Haddad Maya, straight up a top 25 player. Number 11 seed, Layla Fernandez, with her run to end last season, start this year. I have been very adamant. I think she's playing a top 25 level of tennis, so I'm not going to take that win away from Paulini now, even though Fernandez was unseeded. I don't know if Sakari's playing top 25 tennis right now, but she has certainly been a top 10 player for... All but one week in the last two and a half years. So that's another really solid, not signature, but really solid win for Paulini to beat a Serrano Cuerstea, who, of course, just last week, what, made... Or two weeks ago, excuse me, quarterfinals in Dubai and, you know, beats Marketa Vondrusova from a set in 5-1 down. She was playing and is playing a top 25 player right now, top 25 ball. And then to beat Nana Kalinskaya, who's now 24-6 and six since the end of October, who made a quarterfinal in Australia, those are five top 25 wins. You're not going to convince me that was a soft draw. Did she beat Aniga? Did she beat a Sabalenka? Did she technically beat a Rabakinar or a Goff? No. No. But those are five really sound wins for Jasmine Paulini, who, you know, let's be clear, since May fifteenth, really, or you want to go uh, before that? Yeah, May fifteenth, thirty six and twenty one at the tour level, sixty three percent win percentage. You want to throw that's what it was, one hundred twenty five Ks in the mix, where she's had some success, a couple of finals runs or further, so forty four and twenty two now for nine months consecutively. That is straight up the two-thirds rule, 44 and 22. She is winning two-thirds of her matches. Thus, it makes sense that she has continued to slowly but surely ascend up the rankings. Again, this is someone who during this stretch of time has made five quarterfinals or further, four of them semifinals, two of them at the... 1,000 level in her results in Cincinnati and Dubai, and obviously now she gets a signature title run with her run to this title in Dubai, her first at the tour level in this stretch. You look for her overall. It's her second title. She won that 125K in Florence in the middle of May. She's playing the best ball of her career, and you look metrics-wise, where's it coming? Well, it's clear improvement in the serve. She's making a career-high 70.6% of her first serves. That's five years of steady improvement for a Paolini who needs to make those first serves because the second serve can just be a hanging curveball for opponents to attack. And you know, For her career, she's winning fewer than 47% of her first serves. She's winning a career-high 60.5% of her first serve points this season. It's not a top 25 number amongst top 50 players. In fact, it's a bottom 10 number amongst top 50 players, but it is a career high for her, a clear-cut improvement. And, you know, this is someone who breaks serve about 40% of the time is consistently knocking on the door of being a top 20, top 15 returner or better, obviously has certainly been over these last nine months. I mean, every second serve, Kalinskaya has hung, that's the term I was looking for, that hung up there in the air for Paolini to get around, she just drove through so consistently, and again, under pressure to find that sort of pace against both Kalinskaya and Kirstea in that second set as well, when she was down six set points, she showed me something, that's match chops, that's moxie under pressure, and you know, again, 44 and 22 overall during this stretch, is Paulini, You look for her against top 50 players, 15 and 13. This is someone who's well under five hundred for her career against the top 50. 15 and 13 is significant improvement. Best of all, she's 7 and 7. 7 and 7 in her uh against the top 20 over these last 52 weeks. Prior to these last 52 weeks, again, 7 and 7 overall against the top 20. Prior to that, 3 and 17 against top 20 opponents. She just Her weapons give opponents problems. She's stronger, fitter than she has ever been. You know, you could tell Kalinskaya, when Kalinskaya was able to play with pace, depth into that Paulini body, the forehand will spray. And against elite, elite competition, her size will still be a barrier for her to have to overcome. But man, she has weapons which, when given time, she can use to impose her will against any opponent. She proved that this week. What a remarkable run for Jasmine Paolini, again, the 28-year-old capturing the biggest title of her career, this 1,000-level event in Dubai. Outstanding week for Kalinskaya, who, by the way, is going to walk away with a new career high as well. The 25-year-old now sitting all the way up at 24 in the rankings. Keep in mind, she fell outside of the top 100 coming off of injury early last season now for Kalinskaya, a remarkable 39-17 and over her last 52 weeks, 24-6 and overall again since the end of October. Her last events final, Tampico 125K, title Midland 125K. Loss in Brisbane, second round to Victoria Azarenka. No shame in that. Lost Adelaide round of 16 to Kalinskaya. Two top 20 losses. Quarterfinals, she loses in the Australia to Chinwen. That's a top 10 loss. Lost first round in Doha to Pliskova. Pliskova coming off of a Kluge-Napoka title. She's back in the top 40. Now loses in the final to a top 15 player in Jasmine Paolini. and doesn't sound crazy given, again, the level of events she's played. But who have you had to be to beat uh, uh, Anna Count's guy right now? You've had to be a top-20 player, and that speaks to she moves well. It's good depth off both wings. Hits her spots well in the serve. She's good at everything. I don't know if she's great at anything, but she's really solid everywhere. You know, again, just Pauline got her stretched, particularly on that backhand wing where she can get a little stiff in the corner. But I say just a little because the 25-year-old, again, has rounded out her game extraordinarily well. Man, the depth in women's tennis right now. Again, the gap between Kalinskaya now at 25 and her level. And again, you'd probably favor her if she faced a number nine Maria Sakari right now. Maybe that speaks more to Sakari. But wouldn't you favor her over a number 12 Kasikina as well? You might even favor her over number 13 Haddad Maya. First of all, it speaks to Kalinskaya's rise. Right now, you look for Anna Kalinskaya in the points race. She's sitting all the way up at a ridiculous, what, I think, yeah, eighth in the points race. Paulini right now sixth in the points race. Again, it's the end of the second month. But right now, those two would be in the Tour Finals. That is nuts to say out loud. It speaks to the weeks they each had. And again, for Kalinskaya to come through qualifying, she did get signature wins, three of them. She beat Goff, Ostapenko, and Svantec, dropped just one set in those three matches as well. I mean, again, you compile that with the Australian Open run to start the season. She, Her resume is of a top eight player when you have those sorts of wins, these sorts of results under her belt. The Paolini one may be a little bit less expected, but she made round of 16 in Australia. And who did Paolini lose to at the Australian Open in the round of 16? A player by the name of Anna Kalinskaya, four and two. So... Yeah, these two have been in the mix from the start, and you could see it if you're a nerd like me and you've been you know, digging deep in the 125Ks results and staying glued into the 250s, but this is the culmination, the feather in the cap of ridiculous nine-month rises for these two mid 20s players, Paulini Kalinskaya steal the show in Dubai again, ultimately your champion finalist. And what was a really fun week? I know, again, things got a little funky at the end with Kirstea, uh, your other semifinalist from 6251 down over Von Drusova. Obviously, Iga sort of lays an egg again. Another match where just kind of rushed through things and the errors piled up in her loss in the semifinal. So unexpected, given how solid she had looked throughout the course of the month. But You you had a Chin Wen quarterfinal run. She continues to look really, really good to start this season. Clearly top 10, top 8, inner circle ascent for the rising star. Von Drusseva at least steadying the ship somewhat, making quarterfinals. Another good Kirsteia run as she's got all these sunshine swing points to defend Not too much noise in round number one. I suppose Sakharin continues to struggle. The ups and downs of Ludmilla, Samsonova, all things maybe we can reflect upon this week as we do some reflecting. But fun event in Dubai and again, culminating moment for two players who have slowly been ascending in Anna Kalinskaya and Jasmine Paolini. Of course, the 28-year-old Italian Paolini, ultimately your champion. Speaking of players who won significant titles, there I say, again, significant moments. It was a first tour-level title for Jordan Thompson in Los Cabos. So let's begin our ATP coverage there. I mean, what a moment. This is a guy who was down a set and 4 1 to Alex Mickelson in what? Round number two of this event and, you know, digs himself in round number two, excuse me, round number three, quarterfinals of this event. And, you know, after that, Thompson beats Mickelson, then gets wins over. Two top 15 players in Sasha Zverev, Kasparud. Obviously, the Zverev win, 7-5, 4-6, 7-6, a three and a half hour thriller. Then three and six, he knocks off Kasparud uh, in straight sets after he served for the match up 5-4, gets broken, or 5-3, maybe gets broken pretty routinely at 30-40, only to manage to somehow bounce his way back, ultimately pull that match out in straight. I mean, just a crowning moment. A crowning moment for a twenty-eight-year-old who spent a lot of time at the ATP challenger level. He's played 309 challenger level matches. It's a lot at the 28-year-old, the guy who played primarily there in his early to mid-20s, 2014 to 2018 range. It's only these last five years he's really been able to rack up a full level of tour matches. And even last year, you know, again, played nineteen challenger matches, sixteen and three overall. Played 36 challenger matches in 22, going 27-9 and there. You know, a guy who won two challenger titles last year, February, May, respectively. Now, he's an ATP Tour champion. Again, makes his second final in the last 52 weeks. First came in Den Bosch, where he won the opening set. 7-6 was a tiebreaker away against Greek Spore. Now, this time, 3-6. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I've never seen him hit the forehand with the sort of gusto he's hit. Over the course of this week in Los Capos, and again, the way he was just hitting down on the forehand against Kasparud, every bit of topspin, and obviously Kasparud plays with a lot of it, Thompson absorbed, redirected, and added some pace, some gusto, some chutzpah behind those balls as well, again, was just driving through everything so purely. He's moving better, obviously, than he ever has in his career. This guy, as fit as a fiddle, in the effort again to get in and out of corners, the willingness to press forward, hit the big approach shot, his ability to hit the tee serve on the ad side and then hit that first ball heavy into the backhand of Casper Rood, his willingness to, you know, again get physical and play tentative and wait for his moments for Sasha Zverev to give you the shaky ball that will come, you know. Thompson beat both Zverev and Roode, making less than sixty percent of his first serves in each of those matches. And look, there's something to be said about Casper, who just back end was not hitting through the court at all this week uh, in this final. Excuse me, in Los Cabos, just the depth, the Pace production, the ability to penetrate the court, it wasn't there for Casper on this day, but a lot of that had to do with the pressure Thompson was putting on him. Again, his ability to routinely extend points, an extra shot, and then snap a pass by you. He's just, again, that that physical match against Zverev was an absolute marathon, and Zverev was up early in that first set, goes up a quick break on Thompson. I thought it was going to be a routine 2 and twoing, but no, Thompson just continued to persist, fight back, take advantage of, again, sloppy Zverev service games down the home stretch of the set. What a week, what a weekend for the 28-year-old. And if you're asking me, does this make me reconsider his ceiling moving forward? Do I think he's a guy who will get to the top 10 or be in a year-end finals race? I don't. I think this is, again, a crowning moment of what has been a slow ascent over his last 52 weeks and maybe not even slow. You know, two tour finals, 47 and 28 overall, if you include his challenger success, 31 and 24 at the tour level. This is a guy who's made eight different tour-level quarterfinals, eight Eight tour quarterfinals in a 52-week stretch. That's top 50 stuff, folks. And you add a final and a title in the mix as well, it makes sense that Jordan Thompson has ascended to a new career high of number 32. 29-year-old, I think I called him 28 earlier, 29-year-old is playing the best tennis of his career. Again, he's hitting down on the forehand so exceptionally well. Just, he's playing freely. And you saw that in the celebration, the little handshake behind the head with the point at the coach and... Playing like a guy with nothing to lose. He's playing the best tennis of his career. He's again with six was a set and four one down in the quarters to Alex Mickelson. Six love, four-one down, works his way all the way back to his first tour level title. Remarkable stuff for the Aussie. You know, again, tactically, as you look at the losses, let's start on the I suppose Sasha Zverev front, because we already talked about his straight set wins over Nishioka Kokonakis on this show. It was the same story. It's always the same story in a Sasha Zverev loss. Zverev just got tentative down the home stretch of these sets and Thompson was there to make him pay. You know, again, Zverev, another match where he makes over seventy percent of his first serves. You know, faces twelve break points though. Fought off nine of the twelve he faced. I thought he was hitting the forehand cross pretty well, but pretty well wasn't good enough. I thought he was hitting the backhand well, but not he didn't change direction down the line enough. Got really tentative with some approach shots where Thompson always seemed to make him pay with the right pass because Virov seemed to lumber his way forward more than have any sort of plan or intent. And get once he got to the net or how he was planning to get there, just kind of made a sporadic decision as almost a reflex to fight off the nerves and at least give himself an option. Feels like it's always the same story in his Virov loss. And yet I do think he's playing much better. I think he's moving really well. He should have won that Thompson match. Like, that was the one more than anything. I mean, Thompson was just executing so well on the serve and forehand against Casper Root. And, you know, again, for Casper, what a massive win it was for him against Stefano Tsitsipas. Fought off all five break points that he faced. Made just 57% of his first serves, and yet the depth, the heaviness with which he played through that Stefano Tsitsipas backhand corner, it's just a problem. Like, it's always been a problem. But it just feels like everyone knows the exact game plan. And again, that's not a new revelation, but it just feels like that game plan has become that much more effective against Stefano Tsitsipas. And yes, on the right days, he's going to serve. He's going to forehand his way out of problems because that is still as reliable of a serve plus one combination as we have in the men's game right now. But Casper had more ways to bail himself out of those rallies than Stefano Tsitsipas did or extend rallies further. And Steph- and Casper was able to execute his service, but he won 87.5% of his first serve points. He dropped just four throughout the course of the match. He was able to execute whatever he wanted when he landed a first serve. And Tsitsipas had no mechanism to dig himself out of that corner. Now, again, I do think Tsitsipas's kind of baits you into testing that inside, in, uh, you know, going inside in or down the line with your backhand and pressing his on-the-run forehand. And, man, the strength, the depth of that Stefano pass on-the-run forehand, it is remarkably impressive because he is always hitting it on the full stretch and it comes back with a lot of gusto behind it still. I mentioned this before. Casper was 2-4 and four against top 20 opponents over his last 52 weeks. And he hadn't had a signature win since beating Holger Runa, really, in the French Open uh, quarterfinals, or maybe Zverev in the semifinals as well. And got that signature win over Tsitsipas, even if, obviously, things come up a little bit short against Jordan Thompson. But, man, let's celebrate. Let's go glass half full. What a moment it was for Thompson. Played the best tennis of his career. Again, when his serve, his forehand, are firing like that, It is a top 20 combination on a hard court, and with how well he moves, again, his persistence in moving forward, that backhand slice is just going to give you nothing to work with and make you uncomfortable and give him a little bit extra time to recover. He hits his on-the-run forehand with a lot of sound depth as well. And Again, now he's playing so freely. What a result for Jordan Thompson. He is your 2024 Los Cabos champion. And again, up to a career high is Thompson now of number 32. Hey, slam seating range. Not too bad uh, for the Aussie as he captures the title. Other title runs a little bit more straightforward. So we'll spend a little bit less time on them. Shout out to second seeded Karen Hachanov, 7664 victory over Jakub Menschik. After Hachanov went about five years without a title, he's now won two in his last four months or five months on tour. Hachanov, 7664, closes out Menschik to earn the title in Doha. Doesn't drop a set on his way to the 250 title. And, you know, again, Injuries are the reason Karen Hatchinov's not in the top 10 right now. He's 35-18 and over his last 52 weeks of play. Played exactly one match. Nope, zero matches between Roland Garros and the U.S. Open last year dealing with injuries. So no points from Cincinnati. No points from Canada. No points from a City Open. No points from a Wimbledon. No points from any of a grass surface where obviously he has had plenty of success over the course of his career. That is low-hanging fruit for him moving forward. Now he's got Miami Masters semi-final points to protect coming up. Uh, Madrid, Roland Garros quarterfinals as well. So it's a significant third for Karen Hachanov. But let's be clear, a top 10 push could absolutely be in the cards, given now he's got these 500 points between this event, the Zhuhai title he won at the end of last year, stashed on his resume and... What was so impressive about the Hachanov victory, 6-4 over menshik other than the fact that he made 73% of his first serves, won over 82% of his first serve points, and didn't face a single break point in the match, I mean, that's remarkably impressive, but it was how tactical Hachanov was, how disciplined he was in this hour, 49-minute affair, it was the fact that... Even the points he lost to Jakub Menchik, where the 18-year-old came up with more spectacular tennis, and let's be clear, the 18-year-old, he and Jao Fonseca are the stories of this week, even more so than Jordan Thompson winning his first title. I mean, to see two teenagers this talented, top 100 good already, and in my opinion, players with clear-cut top 25 or better better upside. Always a little tough until you see them, you know, again, Menchik, maybe you are a little bit ready to go higher than top 25. Fonseca, I want to see a little bit more across surfaces, but the speed uh, of a guy with that sort of size and strength from this 18-year-old Menchik, the decisiveness with which he hits his weapons, his willingness to move forward, the pressure he can put you under. Jakub Menchik showed you everything this week. Again, boy, was he impressive. And yet, Karen Hachanovs again, like, Apologies for using like there. I don't like that sentence structure. We're going to leave it in anyways. Hachanov's discipline, like his rally tolerance, his, I used it again, his rally tolerance, his willingness to extend points. I know those two things mean the same thing, but it felt like every rally that went over 10 balls, and there were plenty of them in this match. That's what Hachanov wanted. He wanted Menchik to just continue to rack up hour after hour, minute after minute on court after a week that has featured so much drama, so much court time for the 18-year-old. And it felt like, again, after a winding breaker back and forth, each guy has multiple set points in what is ultimately a 14-12 first set breaker that goes the way of Hachanov After an extended rally, again, Menchik gives him an error. He's able to close things out. That was the breaking point because Menchik came out a little bit slow, a little bit unfocused, a little bit rattled, and gave a literally two loose unforced errors. His only loose service game of the match came in his opening service game of the second set. He played a, a game like an 18-year-old would. He gets broken. Hachanov, again, doesn't face a break point, protects his lead the rest of the way. Credit to Menchik. Didn't go away. Hachanov just got him stretched too frequently. Hachanov was plenty fine going backhand cross, you know, waiting for his opportunity to snap into a forehand, did so whenever the moment called for himself. I think Hachanov has taken a step forward over these last nine months as a volleyer. I actually think that's the biggest piece is that he's finishing points, not behind the forehand, which he always had the capability of doing, but because he wasn't a comfortable volleyer, sometimes took him four forehands when it should have taken him one or two forehands in a volley. He's now taken one or two forehands in a volley. Didn't face a single seed all week, but straight sets over Menshik, and Marjan and obviously gets the retirement victory over Rusevori as well. That is a rock-solid week for Karen Khachanov, who, with the victory, going to move up a couple of spots to number 15, obviously for Menshik, first player in 2005 to be in the top 100 rankings next week will be Jakub Menchik. The 18-year-old will sit at number 87 in the live rankings, up 29 spots as a result of making his first tour-level final. The sample side's adding up for Jakub Menchik. You look at his start to the season, you know, challenger final in Canberra, semi-final in Manama, uh, round two in Australia where he goes five sets with Hercots. That was after he made round three in-, in New York, the slam before. He's clearly a top 100 guy. I think he's pretty clearly a top 50 guy as well. You look for Menchik for what it's worth right now in the points race. Jakub Menchik currently sitting at 25th in the points race overall. You look in the yearly ELO. Jakub Menchik currently sitting at 26th. Overall, ELO Jakub Menchik's currently sitting at 61. He's probably somewhere in between that 26 and 61 range, but I think he's a top 50 player already. Certainly looked like it this weekend wins over Monfils. Rublev, Murray, and Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. That's what happened in Doha. Last but certainly not least on the tour-level front, let's talk, excuse me, Rio. I mean, look, it's a massive week for 22 year old Argentinian Mariano Navone Navone with this run up to a new career high number 60 in the live ranking so not only a top 100 debut a top 75 debut for the 22 year old and what was really his first significant ATP experience but got two and one in by the in the final by Sebi Baez and look I didn't talk about Navone's victory over Cam Nori in the semis it was a four and two win for Navone. Nori was clearly something was off physically. He just wasn't moving well. In set number two, he wasn't extending rallies at all, and that's what he was doing so well through his first three matches. Just so- it clearly ran out of steam, or something was up. But cried to Navone, stayed the course. He is so solid. He drives through his backhand so well, even if the forehand it's going to be an issue on a faster surface. It's a little risky. It's a little whippy, and certainly Sabi Baez feasted on it in the final man credit to bias straight sets five in love over Surundalo. Surundalo had set points up five four break points, set point chances i think he had three of them in set number one on bias bias stayed the course and this guy is just clear i said it last pot i'll say it again he is one of the 20 best and i'd go a step further i think he's one of the 12 best clay court players we have obviously gets his first 500 level clay court title first 500 level title period the, the his previous four titles all 250s 23 year olds up to a new career high, number 21 now in the live rankings. And I said this yesterday, but I'll reiterate since the start of 2022, you look for Sebi uh, Sebi Baez in tour level clay court events. You know, 52 and 27 overall. He's made the quarterfinals of 14 different tour level events. He's now won four different titles, made six different finals in tour level clay court events as well. And he's going to be seated at the French Open. I just don't want him in my section if I am anyone else. Because the forehand is an absolute bazooka, drives through the backhand so well. And with how much depth and pace and the angles, all the things he can do from the ground, all he has to do is make the drop shot to have success with it. And boy, does he have feel on it. He's a comfortable volleyer, comfortable with the overhead. The second serve will always hang because he is not the tallest fella. But he hits his spots really well on the surf. He's just an extraordinary athlete. Pound for pound, again, he has precisely what he needs. It's a massive moment. Again, a 500 title that you knew at some point felt like Sebi Baez would capture in his career given his success in this South American clay court swing. Look, I saw the Andy Murray tweet, so we'll address it now. He said, unpopular opinion. It's not an unpopular opinion. Andy Murray's precisely right. But I think it's a widely held view. There should be a 1,000-level clay court event in this month of February in South America. There are so many players who come down this month. You know, again, from the—I mentioned yesterday, Diego Montero, who 11 of 14 of his career quarterfinals have come in South America. Guys like Nicolas Yari, who wins his first title on home uh, soil in Chile, and Baez. And just seeing these crowds in Rio, what they were coming out for Fonseca, for Sabath Vild, for Montero— The energy, the passion, obviously, we've seen in the past in Argentinian Davis Cup as well. These fans show out. They show up. They understand the sport, and they are passionate about it, and they should be rewarded with a quality event, if not a major, just downright itself. Obviously, I think a 1,000-level event to dip the toes within it. I mean, again, what a massive moment for Sebi Baez. What a fun event this was in Rio. We got a lot of South American clay court coverage to catch up on, so we'll leave things there for now, but a massive moment for Navone as well. Forehand needs a little work, but, boy, is he fluid, and drives through that backhand so well you're not going to want him in your first round now as he makes his foray into ATP level events over the next few months last but not least let's talk about some lesser uh, level events but certainly significant ones shout out to former Florida standout McCartney Kessler she's up to a new career high number 121 now obviously Kessler made a name for herself winning her first round match over Fiona Farrow before the three set loss to Linda Noskova winning her first tour level match uh, excuse me slam match at this Year's Australian Open. She obviously won the USTA wildcard late last year with her success. Wins the 60K in Rome, semifinals in Templeton in that wildcard challenge. She's now 49-21 over the course of her last 52 weeks. 12-2 and two to start the year as Kessler now as she goes back-to-back titles. Ten straight wins. Wins uh, the Rome uh, f- title, 75K a couple of weeks ago. Now this 125K Porta Vallarta title where she beats Claire Lulia, Leah, Leah Jean-Jean, Haley Baptiste. And now in the final, a win over Tyler Preston as well. 13-2 is Kessler to start her uh, season up to a new career high. Number 121. Good result for Preston. Austin, as well as as the 18-year-old up to a new career high, number 153, continues her ascent. But again, it's all about... Uh, McCartney Kessler right now in those college tennis ties continue to deliver. By the way, Haley Baptiste, the 22-year-old in making the semifinals, so powerful, so talented. She's up to a new career high, 106 in the live rankings, knocking on the door of a top 100 debut. So just something to keep your eye on uh, as the events unfold over the course of this week. And then speaking of players with college tennis ties, how about 25-year-old Val Vachero? It's the best start in 2024. We have not talked enough about the former A&M All-American, now a ridiculous, ridiculous 18-1 to start his season. It's a third challenger title of the year as well as he wins the title in Punei. 3 He knocks out former Tennessee All-American Adam Walton in the final. You know, you look for Val Vashiro, His first challenger final, to August 2022, but he hadn't made one until the start of this year other than that. Now he's won three to start his season as such into the top 150 for the first time up to number 147 and again replacing a lot of ITF points with challenger points over the next six months. A top 100 window is now there with three challenger titles to start the season for the former a and All-American. And by the way, shout out to Adam Walton. Another challenger final for him. He's up to a new career high of number 145 as well. Two guys continuing uh, to ascend up the rankings with big challenger success. Uh, in pow, shout out to Otto Vertanen. We saw him obviously have that massive result at Davis Cup last year. I forget if he beat Macier Tiafo, but the big hitting 22 year old he wins the challenger title in POW up to number 131 now in the live rankings uh, he knocks out Leandro Rady in the final Rady uh, the talented 22 year old currently sitting at 160 Clement Sheedek, Brandon Nakashima your semifinalist. and then shout out to Matteo Gigante the 22 year old Italian went off his career high he's now sitting at 155 up 27 spots as he wins the title in Tenerife over Stefano Trevaglia. now the best part Of course, another challenger this week in Tenere for him to continue his ascent towards the top 100. That's everything that unfolded over a busy championship weekend. Some fun, subtle storylines to follow that we'll keep an eye on over the course of this week as players look to make top 100 debuts. And of course, everyone gears up for the start of the Sunshine Swing. Now, of course, before we get there, we got a busy week. Two 500s on the ATP side, one in the Middle East, the other in Mexico. I believe we've got at least one, if not to uh, WTA 250s on the calendar this week. Challengers, of course, abound everywhere. I'm sure there's a WTA 125K. I am forgetting as well, but rest assured, we'll cover it all uh, on tomorrow's podcast. And then we're going to start doing some reflecting, whether it's on the South American Clay Court Swing or any of the other many storylines that have unfolded here through the first two months of the season. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day, out, day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who as always has a of an job to do day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out to him a shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at tennis point tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone Thank <laughs> you.